Last night we talked about the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Most of we talked about who is the Holy Spirit and, and uh, a little bit about his nature and his relationship in the Trinity, but mostly we talked about the ministries of the Holy Spirit as teacher, as counselor, as he who leads us into truth, who defends us, who is our guardian, our seal. We talked about all these ministries that the Holy Spirit is for us and to us. Tonight we're going to talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. Now this is a confusion for a lot of people because they think, wait a minute, didn't I receive the Holy Spirit at baptism? You know, most of us don't remember that because it happened when we were babies, but you know, the priest takes, takes the oil and anoints you on the forehead and he prays a, a, a prayer of chrism over you and um, you know, and that's true. We do receive the Holy Spirit at baptism. But what about confirmation? Well, didn't we receive the Holy Spirit again at confirmation? Surely we've got enough of the Holy Spirit now. And there are all kinds of times that we think, well, I've already done this. I've already received the Holy Spirit. Why do I need to receive the Holy Spirit again? And, and what is this about being spirit-filled? Why do people, some people say they're spirit-filled and others may not be? What is that all about? There's a tremendous amount of confusion uh, about this concept of receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember we discussed Augustinian understanding of the Holy Trinity last night, that in the Holy Trinity there is the lover, there is the beloved, and there is the spirit of love that binds them together. The Holy Spirit is that spirit of love that binds together the Father and the Son in the Holy Trinity, that binds the people of God to Christ, his church, and that binds us to one another, that spirit of love. And so when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't want to think of it as some kind of one-time event. It is more of an embrace of the love of God. Think of being experiencing the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit as an embrace of the love of God. And you see, that's not just a one-time thing. That should be a daily thing. That each day we experience the embrace of God's love. And that is the experience of the Holy Spirit that fills us, that baptizes us, and that we receive from him. Now, as you remember last night, I talked a little bit about my first experience with the Holy Spirit and how it was this tremendous sense of being immersed in, in the love and the peace of God. And I think that's why we have come to talk about the experience of the Holy Spirit as a baptism, because it is an immersion in the love of God. I have a friend who, who um, was a musician, and he had had a similar experience, and he wrote a song called Ocean of Love to express his experience of being completely immersed in the love of God. And that immersion in the love of God, that is what we talk about. 
when we talk about the receiving the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that confuses us is that we often think about being filled with the Holy Spirit as a, where's the, where's the ambry in this church? Oh, there we here. They keep the oils, right? And there are jars, and you can fill that jar with oil, and then you put the little stopper on. And guess what? The oil just kind of sits there, right? Um, is Judy the jam maker in here? There's some woman in this church named Judy who makes jams. Gives them the, the, oh, there you are. I know, cause I know you, you exist because I see your name on the jam jar, right? But being filled with the Holy Spirit is not like filling a mason jar and screwing a lid on it. As well, so that we can keep it. I've got the Holy Spirit in my little mason jar, and I can walk around with it. Think of being filled with the Holy Spirit more like a sail on a boat that is filled with wind. See, it's a constant motion. Being filled is not something you do once and then seal it up. It is a constant flow, a motion of the Holy Spirit filling us, not just so that we can say, okay, I'm full now, but so that he can move us guide us, steer us, and empower us to fulfill the will of God, to fulfill the purpose for which God created us. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about, empowering us to fulfill the purpose for which God created us. We cannot do that without him. We can't even love God without the Holy Spirit filling us. So think of it as a sailboat and the wind that fills the sail and it billows out and then moves forward through the water. I've, I'm a sailor myself. Some of you, you know, noticed that in, my, in the bios that I guess, I forgot I'd sent those. But anyway, in the bios that I've sent that I've been a sailor. And I've not only sailed big ships, I've sailed small sail, sailcraft too. And it's a tremendous sense of power to be holding the sheet in your hand, that's the rope that, that holds onto the sail, and have the tiller in the other hand, and to feel the power of the wind pulling you through the water, overcoming the resistance of the water, and guiding you forward. And that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. So don't think of the Holy Spirit as something, well, I got it at baptism, or I got it at confirmation. No, we get it daily. We get it daily. We receive that embrace of God, which is a marvelous thing. Now, one of the interesting things about the Holy Spirit is that according to St. John the Apostle in his gospel, he says that the light of God enlightens everyone who comes into the world. You know that everyone, regardless of their religion, regardless of their background, regardless of who they are, everyone has been touched by the Holy Spirit. In the, excuse me, in the Old Testament, Genesis, when God creates man, he says, let us create man in our image. Mankind is created with the image of God. And God breathed his life. God breathed his spirit. You know, the same, in Hebrew, breath and spirit are the same word. 
God breathed his spirit into man, and man became a living soul. So everyone who is born has been touched, has been breathed by the spirit of God and has the light of God within them. And that really is the difference between mankind and all the other creatures on the planet. You know, a lot of times you hear evolutionists say, well, man and chimpanzees, we share 99.5% of the same DNA, which is true. But even though we are physically in many ways similar to a lot of other primates, even though in some ways we are similar as, as in many, to many animals in the animal kingdom, there's one stark difference. Man has not only an animal nature, but a spiritual nature. And that makes all the difference in the world because mankind has been touched by the Spirit of God. All men. I remember it was in the 1960s, and a Jane Goodall, remember Jane Goodall, the monkey lady? And uh, brilliant um, anthropologist, as, you know, I shouldn't call her the monkey lady. But anyway, she was a brilliant woman, and she worked with uh, chimpanzees and, and gorillas and many apes. And I remember her writing a paper, this was in the mid-60s, and saying um, that she had proven that chimpanzees used tools like humans do. Because she had observed a chimpanzee take a stick, some of you remember this article, and stick it in an anthill and then eat the ants off of it. Well, that same year, we put a man on the moon. Now, okay, there are some similarities, but the chasm between man and the animal kingdom is vast. It's vast. And it's because man had to has been given a spiritual nature by the Spirit of God. He has been touched by the Creator. And when you look at creativity in humans, and creativity in other animals, you see there's something unique. There's something special about, about man. And what's interesting is wherever you go, in every culture, every, every epoch of history, Mankind has prayed. Man knows that he is trying to restore a relationship with God. He is const All men find some means for prayer. No other animal prays. Now, I, had, I, I knew a person who was an evolutionary psychologist. I don't know what that means, but that's what she was. And my comment was, what is the evolutionary purpose of prayer? You know, does that make us more fit? Are we able to survive better because we pray? No, there's something unique, something outside of the evolutionary spectrum or of the physical spectrum. Every man has been touched by the Holy Spirit. So in, in some degree, all of us have a touch of the Holy Spirit and embrace of God, the breath of God, when we are born. And sometimes that's remarkable. Remember John the Baptist? Zechariah prophesied that John the Baptist was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his womb. And that prophecy was fulfilled when Mary came and John the Baptist left in her womb. See, already the Holy Spirit is at work. 
And that's a special case, but that doesn't mean the rest of us aren't touched by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in all of our lives, even in our wounds, forming us and shaping us. Why? To fulfill the purpose for which God created us. And then, of course, at, at baptism, we all receive uh, the, a grace of the Holy Spirit as, of being adopted as, as children of God, sons and daughters of God. We, in baptism, are adopted children of God. Think about that. That's remarkable. You know, we look, we look at Jesus, the Son of God, and how much special things he did because he was the Son of God, but the Holy Spirit makes that available to each of us. If all of us could just live within the same submission that Christ lived in, we are adopted children of God. And even Jesus said, greater things than I do, you will do. Because the Holy Spirit will be upon you. And of course, in confirmation, we receive uh, a grace and blessing. We see an anointing. I was with the, the, the confirmation class. And the young people here, I told them they could come. Anyway, um, I explained to them that in their confirmation, that is their personal Pentecost. Just like the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles at Pentecost, when the bishop anoints each person with oil and says, receive the Holy Spirit, that is their personal Pentecost, to receive the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit, whatever they need to fulfill the purpose for which God created them. And it's going to be different for everyone. And that's okay. There's no such thing as a higher calling, right? I kept telling them, that, don't think I'm a, because I'm a priest, I've got a higher calling. The highest calling is the calling God has for you. You don't want my calling, you know. You just want to follow your calling. So the power of the Holy Spirit in that confirmation, God gives them a new Pentecost. And you know someplace else that you receive the Holy Spirit? In holy matrimony. Remember the, the nuptial prayer that the priest prays over you? He lays his hands on the, the, the bride and the groom and prays, pour forth your Holy Spirit and enable them to live together in a life of love. Because we need the Holy Spirit to live a married life. You know. I have a friend who's a priest, and he was saying, I have a much harder vocation than you do because I'm celibate. And I said, well, that's just because you never tried being married before. <laughs> you know. Living with another human being is not easy. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to live a life of love as we work through our lives together, the good times, the bad, the sickness and the health. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us to love one another through thick and thin. And that's why the priest prays that. And then, of course, ordination. Ordination, the diaconate ordination, the priesthood ordination. Each, gives, each receives their own unique gifts because each has a different calling. And all these occasions, the Holy Spirit is being poured into our lives, again, to fulfill the purpose for which God has created us. Now, there's a story in the Gospel of a man who was blind, and he asked Jesus to heal him, and Jesus laid hands on him, and prayed for him, and then Jesus says, how's it going? And he goes, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And so what did Jesus do? He lays hands on him again, prays for him again. 
You know, even in the ministry of Jesus, oftentimes there needs to be more than one touch. And in our lives, I think, at least for me personally, I need many touches, daily touches. Because as a human being, I often have a very short memory. And it's easy to forget the good things God has done for you when you've kind of gone through the treasury of life. Remember Israel in the desert. They were all excited. They passed through the Red Sea. It's all wonderful. And within a few weeks, they say, well, why don't we just go back to Egypt? You know, they had, they had flesh pots. They had meat there. We could eat meat. And, you know, you know, we always knew we had a meal coming. Let's just all go back to Egypt. Because it's easy to forget the wonderful things God has done in the trudgery and the difficulties of day-to-day -day life. There's a beautiful um, prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. The changes and chances of this life. God, sustain us through the changes and chances of this life. Because, indeed, we need that daily touch. We need our sails filled with the Holy Spirit every day, or we go still. One of the places that I have sailed is the Sargasso Sea. And it's called the Sargasso Sea because of this kind of orangish-brown seaweed that's everywhere. I mean, it's like you almost think you could get out and walk on it. It's just so thick. But it's also sometimes called the horse latitudes because so many, the, the wind is so inconsistent there that they would go for days and weeks without, uh, without wind. and They would start eating the, the horses, the cargo, or throwing the cargo overboard just so they could try to row the ship. They couldn't have enough wind to sail it. When you're at sea, you have, so in a sailing boat, you have to have the wind or you shrivel up and die. And in our lives, if our lives are not being constantly filled with the wind of the Holy Spirit, then we can become lost in the doldrums. But even think of the life of Jesus. Jesus was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that. The angel came to Mary and he said, the angel, the angel said, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. And you will bear a son and his name will be Jesus. He will be called Holy, the Son of the living God. Jesus is born by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he went about and healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons. He delivered the oppressed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He taught with the power of the Holy Spirit. People would listen to him teach and they would be amazed because he spoke with authority. He spoke with power. He knew what he was talking about. Now, if you ever read the Talmud, and I don't recommend it, but the Talmud is a very difficult and frustrating book, or, or volumes of books, actually. And, it, you know, we think about, you know, Jewish people studying the Old Testament. They live in, according to the Old Testament. They really don't. They live according to the Talmud. And the Talmud is commentary after commentary after commentary after commentary. So there'll be some little law of the 613 laws of the Old Testament. And then you have 
one rabbi after another telling you his opinion about that law. And one of the interesting ones is uh, the Passover lamb. And one of the rabbis will say, you must cook the Passover lamb over an iron spit. And another will say, no, you must cook the Passover lamb over a wooden spit. And, and, they, and they argue. And it goes back and forth. I don't know how they make sense of it. But, but this was the rabbinic method for these rabbis to argue with each other. And here comes Jesus, and he doesn't express an opinion. Because he's God, empowered by the Holy Spirit to teach the truth. He told people the way it was. And they saw, what is this? He speaks with such authority. And of course, he commands demons by the power of his voice. And they, and the demons obey him. Where is this authority coming from? Jesus has authority to forgive sins, as well as the authority to heal. He has the authority over the winds and the waves. He can even walk on water. Every Jew knows that only God can walk on water. Only God can control the weather. Even we know that today. Again and again, the authority and power of the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus, proving that he is indeed God. And then this is what's amazing. And Jesus gives that power and authority to us. He gives that power and authority. First, the apostles. He sends them out two by two, giving them authority to drive out demons and to heal the sick. And then, at his ascension, he says this to the apostles, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay here in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high the power of the Holy Spirit to overwhelm the apostles. And then he says, these signs will accompany you. These signs will go with you as you, as you go out into the world. You'll dry, in my name you'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. You'll pick up servants with your hands. And if you drink any deadly thing, it will not harm you. And you will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. The amazing thing is that in the book of Acts, you go through these, these signs that will accompany the, 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 the apostles in Mark. Every one of those is fulfilled. Some many, many times. But each one, there's an example of each one of those happening in the ministry of the apostles. And when we see that happening again and again in the ministry of the saints. Benedict, why, why do these saints always, you know, why do the monks always try to kill the, their, the saints? But anyway... St. Benedict, his monks wanted to kill him. They tried poisoning him, but it had no effect on him. You know, many times we, we see the same signs accompany the saints in the church. And they're there for us. Now, I'm not saying go grab a snake. I've grabbed a few snakes in my time. <laughs> but I was raised in Texas. What else are you going to do? But don't, you know, it's not so that we can go out and grab snakes but that God is always going to be there to protect whatever comes your way. Every time that the apostles got in trouble, the Holy Spirit was there. And it's there for us as well. But how do we 
do that? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? How do we prepare our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit? St. Peter says this. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And James writes this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will free from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The way we receive the Holy Spirit, the way we open our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit, is to submit ourselves humbly to God. You know, one of the things that I like to talk about a lot, so I'll talk about it again, is the difference between faith and magic. Magic is an attempt to manipulate for personal reasons. Right? And in, you know, in some circles that would be you know, incantations or spells or potions or whatever to manipulate nature or manipulate people to our will. Sometimes that comes up in the church. Sometimes that comes up in charismatic circles. I've known charismatic teachers who always saying, well, you know, you just have to, if you believe, have enough faith, believe strongly enough that God's going to have to do it for you. If you get three people to gather together and agree and you say in Jesus' name, God's got to do it. That's not faith. That's magic. That's an attempt to manipulate God for our purpose. Faith is trusting God, submitting ourselves to Jesus' will, giving ourselves to him, taking up our cross and following Jesus. That is faith. We're not trying to get God to do anything for us. We're just trying to give ourselves to him and trust him. And that's how we prepare our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit. Let give control over our lives to Jesus and the Holy Spirit to lead us. And that's kind of scary. You know, we're Americans. We're independent. We're Westerners. We're real independent, right? We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we make things happen and that's the way we are. Here's a question. Who would you rather be in control of your finances? Yourself or Warren Buffett? And who would you rather have in control of your life? Yourself or Jesus? Consider how deeply Jesus loves each and every one of us how he knows us better than he, we know ourselves. He who sent his spirit to form and shape us in our mother's womb so that we could grow to fulfill God's purpose for us. He who knows the end from the beginning. He who knows all of eternity. Let him be in control of our lives. And in that submission, the Holy Spirit acts 
and moves. And sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. Have you notice that? Sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to show that we really are serious about submitting ourselves to God. I think of some of the great Old Testament saints. Think of Abraham. God gives him a promise that he is going to be the father of a great nation. He's a hundred years old. He's waiting for his first son. <laughs> but he's waiting. He's trusting in the Lord. Think of David. He's anointed king of Israel. The very next thing that happens is that Saul, the other king of Israel, tries to kill him for 13 years. David is on the run, living in caves, living with the enemy, trying to do anything it takes to survive. But he's waiting on the Lord. Think of Elijah. God told him to pray and the rain would stop. They said, Elijah prayed and it stopped raining. And then God says, well, you know, then Elijah's ready to die. He says, I'm done with you, God. God says, go live in this cave. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. So Elijah, for three and a half years, he lives in a cave. And God is so gracious, he sends a crow or a raven, I guess a raven, every day with a bit of meat in his mouth for Elijah to eat. Now, that's a tremendous story of God's provision, but you realize he's eating roadkill for, th for three and a half years. <laughs> but he's waiting on the Lord. And the book of Hebrews says this about them. By faith and patience, they inherited the promise of God. We come to God trusting him even if God doesn't seem to be doing anything. We still trust him. Because here's the worst thing that can happen. God can act for us and we can turn it down. That's called grieving the Holy Spirit. When God acts for us and we turn him down, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's a terrible, terrible thing to do, terrible place to be. Now, throughout the ministry of the church, the, the Holy Spirit is imparted often through the laying on of hands. It doesn't have to be that way. But you read through the book of Acts, you read through the life of the church, you know, confirmation, marriage, the nuptial prayer, ordination, these times in which the Holy Spirit is imparted, it is imparted through the laying on of hands. So always be willing to receive the impartation of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. And when the Holy Spirit comes, two things happen. There is a transformation in your heart and there is a transformation in your mouth. Our hearts bear witness that the Holy Spirit has come upon us. We know that we have been touched by God. There is an interior understanding that the Holy Spirit 
has sealed us. That's a, uh, a word the scripture uses, that the Holy Spirit will seal us for the day of redemption. And that seal um, is actually a, a legal term that a king or a general or a landowner would place his seal on, uh, on property or on a deed or on, even on an individual. Um, generals in the Roman army used to brand their seal uh, on, the, uh, on their soldiers. Say, this soldier belongs to me. Anybody mess with this soldier, they answer to me. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit to know that we belong to God. St. Paul says, we have been paid for by a price. We belong to God. We are not our own. The Holy Spirit touches us in our hearts and manifests in our heart that he indeed has sealed us. St. Paul says that when the Holy Spirit comes within us, we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is Hebrew for Daddy. We know God is our Daddy. And that we are infinitely loved by the God of the universe who calls us his child. And then also, the coming of the Holy Spirit manifests in our mouth in our, the way we speak to one another in the way we speak to our spouse in words of love and encouragement and in words of, of wonder and awe and praise to God one of the things you see in the uh, book of Acts often is that when people receive the Holy Spirit, it says they speak in, they spoke in tongues. They spoke in languages they didn't know. Why is that? Well, there are two reasons, actually. And I'm not encouraging anyone to seek the gift of tongues. I never seek, the ancient encourage anybody to seek any gift. Just seek the giver. He'll give you the gifts you need. But the gift of tongues does confuse a lot of people. And so I'll say that there, there are two things at work here. One is, Jesus goes about Destroying the works of the devil, right? That's one of the things we talked about last night. And one of the works of the devil was the division of humanity into many tribes and nations that warring with each other, battling with each other. And in the biblical account, that starts at this place called the Tower of Babel when all of the, they all had different languages and they didn't understand each other. In Pentecost, and in the Pentecost experience, all mankind is brought into unity. And so he gives the apostles these gifts to speak in languages they don't know, but people all around them understand them. And so that, so that the curse of Babel has been reversed by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and brings all humanity back together as one people, one kingdom of God, all speaking the same language, and that language is the love of unity. That's one of the aspects of speaking in tongues. And this is the other. You know, we could be a lot better Christians if our brains didn't get in the way. You notice that? They were constantly talking ourselves out of doing what Christ wants us to do. We, uh, we think, well, maybe I, should, maybe I should go share something with my neighbor. 
And the next thing, oh, man, I don't know if they'll appreciate that. You know, we talk ourselves out of things. And even when we pray, we just have a hard time figuring out how to pray, what to pray. In fact, St. Paul says, we don't know how to pray. So the Spirit helps us in our prayers. And one of the ways, he calls it, groans too deep for words. We can't think of the words. All we can do is, is groan in the presence of God. So, this speaking in tongues, speaking in a prayer language, it bypasses the intellect. We're able to pray without knowing what we're saying, without thinking about it. Um, in a more common Catholic experience, that would be called contemplative prayer. You know, you pray to that point, and then you're suddenly... In God's presence, you have nothing to say. But you are just basking in the love of God. We call that contemplative prayer. And praying in tongues is really a form of contemplative prayer. That We don't know what to say to God, and we're speaking. We don't understand it, but God is using, you know, is giving us prayer that we don't understand to reach out to whatever, whatever his purpose is. So those are the two aspects of speaking in tongues. Um, I just want you to know that. I'm not encouraging anybody, just like I said, anybody to seek tongues, to seek tongues or any other gift. But it is, it is something. And the apostles all spoke in tongues. The Virgin Mary spoke in tongues. You know, it's, it's, so it's not a bad thing. But it's, it's certainly been abused uh, in the history of the church. Jesus told us that when we submit to God, the Holy Spirit wells up within us like a fountain of living water. Just think about the fountain of living water. And it pours forth. And again, brings about whatever God needs us to have to fulfill his purpose. And those are the gifts of power. Now, there are several gifts of power mentioned in the scriptures. I'll just touch on them briefly. There is, of course, the, the confirmation gifts. Wisdom, counsel, understanding, knowledge, piety, the fear of the Lord. These are the confirmation gifts. These are the gifts that were promised to be upon the life of the Messiah. This comes from Isaiah. He promised that these gifts would be on the Messiah, and so we, as those who live in Christ, we receive those gifts as well. Those gifts are part of our lives, and they're kind of normative in our lives. Those are magnificent gifts that are imparted to each person at confirmation. There are the gifts which actually the, the scripture refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. This is a normative, these are normative gifts. The Holy Spirit always comes with his fruit. And this is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, this is what the Holy Spirit always brings so that we can live in that life of love and peace and joy. I mean, who wouldn't want that? But anyway, we live in the fruit of the Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes, he comes with the gifts of, of love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. 
these are the get, the fruit of being in the Holy Spirit. And then there are the charismatic gifts. The charismatic gifts are gifts that are unique to different individuals. Speaking in tongues is one of those gifts. And there are other gifts, prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of the working of miracles, gifts of service. Have you ever known someone who's just like always looking for someone to help? That's a charismatic gift. It's called the gift of service. And gifts of administration. You know, people who are always organized and make things happen around them and, and get things going, that's a charismatic gift. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of administration. These are all gifts, and there are, two, there are several of them listed in the New Testament, but don't let that become a box for you, right? The Holy Spirit has got hundreds, thousands of gifts. He's got probably as many gifts as there are individuals who need gifts. And he gives gifts to each of us so that we can fulfill God's purpose in our lives. Whatever that gift needs to be. And then there are ministry gifts. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, St. Paul lists five uh, prophets, evangelists, apostles, Prophets, teachers, pastors, and teachers. Those are all um, and ministry gifts. Gifts where God places an anointing upon an individual to minister to the church uh, in within his gift. Now, in today, we might not use those same terms. We probably, probably would say bishops and priests, deacons, religious, catechists, people who are anointed by God to fulfill a gift within the church to build up the church. We need people anointed by God to fill, to build up the church, and those are the ministry gifts. All those are different types of gifts of power that God pours into us, whatever we need. But it always begins at the same point, and that is the point of submission. So I'd like us to take a, uh, a moment to, um, we're going to pray this prayer. I hope everybody picked one up on their way in. Called, Prayer to Receive the Holy Spirit with Gifts of Power. I ask you to reflect sincerely and seriously upon this prayer. We'll try to pray it slowly. And let the Holy Spirit quicken in your heart as you seek a fresh embrace of the Holy Spirit. I pray that here tonight, everyone receives a fresh embrace of the Holy Spirit. Come, let's pray all together. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, I give you permission to breathe the life and love of God into me. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. I surrender my pride. I surrender my thoughts. I surrender my plans. I surrender my emotions. I surrender my opinions. I surrender my agendas. I empty myself for you. Fill me with your presence. 
I renounce my seat on the throne of my life and ask you to sit upon that throne as my Lord and King. Pour your Holy Spirit into my soul and fill my cup overflows. Renew my mind, refresh my soul. Let your love consume me and transform me into your vessel. Wonderful Counselor, guide me into all truth. Divine Teacher, instruct me in the ways of God. Refiner's Fire, purge me of all that separates me from the Father and set my heart aflame for the glory of God. Use me as you will. Empower me with your gifts to fulfill the purpose that the Father has given me. Never for my glory, but all for the glory of God. Amen. And the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come down upon you and remain with you forever. Thank you so much for being here tonight.